Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, Therefore, Remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Let me just give you context of that. Circumcision is a physical sign, but in ancient Israel it was a sign of whether you were in or whether you were out. So remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Man, there is a lot in that passage of Scripture. We're going to unpack a little bit about that this morning. And we're going to do that because today what I want to do, I don't want to sit here for a long time today. I want to talk about five movements that we see in this Scripture. Five things that this Scripture talks about are some of the movements away from old ways of thinking or old ways of understanding God or old ways that people used to practice their their faith and their worship into a brand new thing that God is doing. And there's probably more, but I've got five movements that I want to talk to this morning. And I want to talk this morning about the power of presence in community. And I want to talk about the new temple that God is building. We don't talk about temples. We went to, I went with a group of people here uh, about 18 months ago to Cambodia. And as part of that trip, we went and visited the Angkor Wat Temple Complex which you go and visit now because it's architecture from many centuries ago and you feel like Indiana Jones as you run around these old crumbling stone buildings with incredible vines that are growing through the walls. It's, it's a cool place to visit. But we don't talk a lot about the temple anymore, but you have to understand in the context of the scripture, the temple was significant. It was the centre of life for the people of faith in Jesus' time. And so when Paul writes this, the Apostle Paul writes this passage that we've just written, he's writing to a group of people that lived on the outside of that. And this word Gentile, we see it a little bit through the scripture, but the Gentiles were anyone that wasn't part of the community of Israel. They were the outsiders. And so Paul writes this, the book's named Ephesians, but it's a letter that he writes to a church in a place called Ephesus, which was outside 
of the nation of Israel. And this is where the gospel was spreading and the message was new. And so we see five movements that I want to speak to this morning that talk about the new thing that God is doing. And we land in this place, this incredible picture of the brand new temple that God is building. I'm going to unpack that a bit in a moment for us. But movement number one. In this scripture, we see that there is a movement from people being on the outside to being on the inside. As I said, this is a letter written to the church in Ephesus and the people that would have read it were outsiders to the Jewish world and are called Gentiles. You see, the story of scripture is this. Sin enters the human story and God's intent is always to bring restoration and redemption to all people. And his rescue mission for humanity starts with an encounter with a guy by the name of Abraham, one man. And God meets Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. But you know what he promises Abraham? And through you, Abraham, all people on earth will be blessed. All people. Not just your family and the nation that I'm going to create through you, Abraham, but all people on earth will be blessed. So God meets with a man and starts his rescue mission through Abraham. And Abraham grows a family and they become a nation, the nation of Israel. And God, through this nation, enacts his plan to bring rescue for all people. But the people of Israel, the Jewish people, were God's chosen people. As we read through the Old Testament, God was present with them. And, and God, though, is doing a new thing because God's intention was never just to come and do a new thing and bring restoration and redemption to a group. It was always the promise that all people would be blessed. And so God's revealed himself to a people and started a special relationship with them, but it was never the intended end of the story. And so the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus this, remember that you were separate from Christ. I mean, this is uplifting, isn't it? Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That is not a hopeful scripture. Let me tell you about who you were. You were foreigners to God's covenant promise. The covenant promise was God's promise that he would bring redemption, that he would work through them to reveal his plan for salvation. They were foreigners to that covenant. But... Paul goes on to say this, but that was the story. That's no longer the story. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, Paul wants to tell us about the power of the cross. I was reflecting this week on uh, the, the first couple of chapters of Corinthians. I was reading them in one of my lunch times when I wasn't eating. And it, Paul just says, I, I don't want to convince people with eloquent words or great presentations. I just want to preach Jesus and him crucified. There's something about the story of Jesus and him crucified that actually becomes the foundation point for our faith. It's what Christ has done on the cross. It's, not, it's, not, it's the deep implication of what happened when Jesus sacrificed his life on our behalf on that cross 2,000 years ago. And Paul says that. But now you've been brought near. Once those of you who are far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, the work of Jesus has changed the status of those that were formerly considered as outsiders. God enacted a rescue plan through Abraham, formed into the nation of Israel, but then brought it to completion through the person and the work of Jesus and his death, and his resurrection. So Paul says, I've got some good news. Those of you who were once outsiders, guess what? You're now welcomed in. 
Not because of anything you've done, not because of your deserving or what you've earned or you've worked harder or God's changed his mind. No, no, God's intent was always through the work of Jesus to bring you near. So the death of Jesus in its implication is that now you and all people can have peace with God. This is good news for us. The first movement that Paul speaks to is the movement from outsider to insider. And it's a similar one, but it goes a little bit deeper in implication. The next movement is the movement from foreigner to family. Verse 19, consequently, so you were outsiders, now through the blood of Christ you've been brought near, but consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. There's one verse, but there's a deep, deep reality to what Paul says here. The first transition he talks about is a transition to being citizens. I saw someone post on Facebook the other day, the one year anniversary for their citizenship ceremony of becoming officially an Australian citizen. And when you become a citizen of our nation, there's some benefits that go with that. A citizen of any nation brings benefits. But suddenly, you carry the benefits of being an Australian citizen. You're given a passport, an Australian passport, or you can apply for an Australian passport and pay half your life savings to get it. You get medical benefits. We, we, because you're a citizen of our nation, we care for you. We promise to care for you and look after you. There's protection that is afforded you as an Australian citizen. If you travel anywhere in the world and get into trouble, you can go and seek help from the government or the consulate in that country and they will treat you and seek to help you because you're an Australian citizen. You see, there's something powerful about a foreigner that has no place to call home being welcomed into a citizen. And Paul chooses this language to say, this is part of what Christ has done for you. You are now citizens. You have now been welcomed in. There's a protection. There's, there's a benefit for what Christ has done. But he doesn't leave it there. He goes a little step further, doesn't he? He says, fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You see, what's better than being a citizen is being a part of the family. And God says, because of what Christ has done, you who were once outsiders, remember, without hope and without God in the world, have now been brought near through the blood of Christ and you are now citizens and members of his household. This is your story. If you're a person here of faith, if you've chosen to put your faith in Jesus, this is what he has done for you. Not only has he made a way through his death for you to draw near, he's welcomed you as a citizen with fellow believers, but he's invited you into his household. He's actually invited you to be part of his family. You see, citizens get passports, citizens get medical protection, citizens get, you know, the government looks after them, but Members of the family, well, that's another step in depth of relationship. You see, the movement that Paul paints is you've gone from being an outsider, you've drawn near, you're now an insider, but more than that, you've gone from being a citizen to be welcomed into the family. You've moved from being a foreigner to family, not through anything that you've done, but through the grace of Jesus found in the work of Jesus on the cross. And there's a temple analogy here. This is, let me bring the temple in for a moment. You see, the physical temple in the time of Jesus had been, rehealed, been rebuilt from when it had been torn apart and, and it had been added to. And there was an, an area in the temple. It was in what was known as the outer courts. And you know what it was called? The court of the Gentiles. 
So there was an area in the temple where if you were an outsider, if you were one of these foreigners that Paul speaks to, if you came from Ephesus and you came to Jerusalem and you wanted to seek out the worship of God, you could go to the temple and you could enter the court of the Gentiles. And there, there'd be people arguing faith and, you know, talking about faith. And there'd be people that would be talking about how you worship, but you were only ever limited to this outer court. There are actually signs that were written all around the entrances to the inner court. You see, the further you moved into the temple, the further you got closer to the place where it was believed heaven met earth, the presence of God resided in the inner courts of the temple. But if you're a Gentile, you're allowed in the outer courts, but guess what? There were signs that warned you if you went any further that death would be the result. And Paul just says, guess what Jesus has done? He's broken down that dividing wall of hostility and he's welcomed you who were once outsiders to be on the inside, not just on the inside, but part of the family. He's an incredible movement in this passage. And then the movement starts to talk about who we are together. Movement number three. We move from hostile indifference to unified in diversity. There's a movement from hostile indifference to unified in diversity. Same, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. You know what? We live in a world where people are really good at looking for and picking out difference. Ever noticed that? We're really good at picking out difference. We're really good at being aware of the things and the people that we relate to, that we hang out with, that we're in church with, that are in our school, that are in our neighbourhood, and noticing the things that we differ on. And we can so easily bring this into our church community. But you know the beauty of, of the picture that is painted, not just in this passage, but right throughout the scripture, as Paul and others talk about this new picture of what Christ has done and bringing two groups together. You know, it says the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down because of the ministry of Jesus on the cross. We've been brought near. The two that were separate are now one. One of the pictures of the church is that we are not hostile in our difference, but we are unified in our diversity. What does that mean? The goal of us being together isn't that we all look, sound, act the same. The beauty of the church is that we show the world what it looks like to be different, but to be unified. And this church is full of really different people. I'm really different to you. You're really different from the next person. We differ on the way those of us that have family, the way we parent. And you look at others in this church and think, man, they parent so differently. I probably wouldn't do things that way. We differ on the way we use and spend and allocate money. We differ on our worship preference. You know, some people talk about worship like, I would really like it to look, I think it needs to look like this. Well, I could get the next person in. I've been in church 20 years and you know what I've heard a hundred times? The worship's too long, the worship's too short, the worship's too loud, the worship's too soft. I don't like those songs. I love those songs. (laughs) I wish we had an electric guitar. I wish there was no electric guitar. Why do we sing four songs? Why don't we sing 14 songs? Like, My point is it's subjective. Because we're different. We're all different. Some of us love the songs we sing today. Some of us love the songs we sang yesterday. 
We are a community of difference. We have different theological perspectives and interpretations. I don't feel like going there this morning, but I'll give you a list of 20 things that I reckon we could find significant difference in how we've interpreted Scripture sitting in this room today. We're different. We have different political understandings. Every election that comes around, as a leader of the church, I get a phone call from someone claiming the party that they support is God's party. And can we announce some of their policies from the platform? Problem is, a week later, I get a phone call from someone that sits on the other side of the divide claiming why their party is God's party. God's got a lot of political parties in Australia, I've decided. (laughs) We differ in our politics. We differ in our hobbies and our leisure, the way we use our spare time. We differ in our understanding of how church should be structured. We differ in the things that we love and we don't love within the church world. We differ in our temperament. We differ in our personality. Guess what? We're not all here because we're the same. But you know what Jesus has done? He's given us the chance to move from being hostile in our difference. In other words, focusing on the things that divide us and that differ us. And he's invited us into a brand new narrative, one where we focus not on our difference, but on the one thing that unifies us. You know what Paul says, the one thing that unifies us and the one thing that we all have to remember when we sit in this place that brings us together is not our parenting styles or our worship styles or how we use our spare time. The one thing that invites us into a place of unity is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one unifying factor in this church. He's the one unifying factor across the church. And some of you are sitting in this church because you've been to some other churches and stylistically it just doesn't feel like home for you. You know what? Difference different. Difference not wrong. If you go to a church and not preaching Jesus, that's a different story. But the thing that brings us together is Jesus. And Paul says this. He says, you know, we're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, God's story that's gone before us, that is the foundation for our story. But the thing that pulls us together is Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Listen to this. In him, the whole building is held together. Remove Jesus from our midst and guess what? We don't have a lot of reason to hang out with each other. We'd find the five or the 10 or the 15 that are just like us and we do life together happily and we'd enjoy each other's company. But what compels us to sit in this space and to worship in this space and to hang out with people that sometimes are going to drive us nuts is the unifying factor of Christ Jesus. Because in him, the whole building is joined together. He is our one unifying factor. And Paul says this, he uses a term that people would have understood. He he says Jesus is the chief cornerstone. What's a chief cornerstone? If you go to some buildings now, you'll find a cornerstone that's really just a memorial stone that they put an inscription on who opened the building, who built the building. Often it's not even structural. There's buildings with cornerstones that actually have hollowed out sections where things have been stored, you know, newspapers, manuscripts from the day, whatever, the building plans. They're more ornamental, but... In the time that Paul writes this, the cornerstone was the key foundation block of the building. The cornerstone dictated to the builders which direction the building would face, which direction the building would go, and the structure of the building. And so what Paul says is Jesus is the chief cornerstone that holds the rest of us together. That's the unifying factor of Christ. So the third movement is that we move from being hostile indifference to being unified 
even in the midst of our diversity. And as a church, let's show the world how we can be a community of difference and still love one another with a deep, deep love. Movement number four is the mood from the move from pilgrims to dwelling place. What is a pilgrim? A pilgrim is someone who goes on a journey. If you're talking in a religious sense, pilgrims are people that take a journey to a particular sacred or religious site for a particular purpose. So in the Old Testament, in the time when Jesus first walks the earth, people would take the pilgrimage regularly to the temple in Jerusalem. You see, the temple was the centre of life. It was the place where people believed heaven met earth, the presence of God resided. The temple was the place where sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin happened. The temple was the place of worship. The temple was the place of politics. It was a place where law was debated. It was the place where culture existed. The temple was the centre of the Jewish universe. And so people would take regular pilgrimages to the temple. The temple was the place you went to feast and to celebrate and to party the goodness of God. It was the place that you went somberly to seek God's forgiveness. It was the centre of life as they knew it. But Jesus starts to talk and Paul unpacks a picture of a brand new temple. He says this in him, in Jesus, the whole building is joined together, as we said, he's the unifying factor. And And it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. As we talk about this present series, it's something we really have to grasp. That the scripture teaches us that we actually become the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't take a pilgrimage anymore to a place. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you think of church as a place, God wants to reset your thinking, to start to think of church as a people. We have a place where the church gathers. But if we're not here this morning, this is just a slightly useful school hall. There's nothing sacred or special about this space until it's filled with all of you. The presence of God doesn't sit here waiting for us to arrive on Sunday morning. The Bible teaches that the presence of God, God has made his presence with his people in and through his people, through the work and the ministry and the presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Paul says, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul talks about a brand new temple, not on a hill in Jerusalem that people need to take a pilgrimage to, but a place that when the people of God are gathered, God is present in their midst. Pilgrims are people who go somewhere. But Jesus is now saying the temple is not a place that you go anymore unless you just like great architecture and you think it'd be a cool place to visit. No, no, the ministry or the purpose of the temple, the housing place of the presence of God is not something you go to find. It is now something that goes with you. I remember when I was young, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember assembly being called Dubbo Christian School. Don't know how old I was, but I, for some reason I can remember this assembly. And our principal got on the stage and he started to dress down the students because recently, more and more, he'd been finding students from my school dressed in their school uniform, walking the streets of Dubbo, five, six o'clock at night, still dressed in their school uniform, but not abiding by the uniform policies of the school. And I remember one day he got up and he said, if I see you out on the streets and you're wearing our uniform, you wear it like you would be expected to wear it when you're in school. You don't have your shirt untucked. You don't have different coloured socks on. You're not wearing a yellow cap. You're wearing the uniform 
as it relates to our school. But you see, in people's mind, they went to school and when the bell went at 3.30, well, they were free to be something different. But he said, no, 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 the school's not a place you come to, it's something you're part of. I reckon it's the same for us as the church. The church isn't a place that we go. The church is something that we are. The presence of God is not found in a place, but in a people. And some of us need a change of mindset because it's not a place you come to. It's a place that follows you. You see, whatever church or whatever the place you come to worship is seen as a place, it's easy to create this dualistic life where we go, well, that's something we do on particular days and we associate that with a place with four walls and a particular group of people and a style of worship. But the rest of the time, it's my time. You see, whatever the church is a place that you go to, it's easy to see the church as a place that you consume. So we live in a consumer society. What's a consumer society? You go somewhere and you consume a product and whatever you like that product, you stay there. But whatever the, whenever the product changes or someone does something to disappoint you, well, you go find a better product that you can engage with. And whatever you see the church as a place that you go to, you're only ever going to consume church. But if you see that the presence of God sits with the people, that God has brought together, there's something deeper about that. It's harder to leave because you're not farewelling a place, you're farewelling a people that God has called you to. Sometimes to work through the difference, sometimes to wrestle with the mess, sometimes to have to live out, not just in word, but in deed, forgiveness. You see, if all the churches is a place, you'll spend your life going from place to place to place to place, finding something that suits you, but God never intended that to be the church. If the church is just a place you go, it's something that's easy to critique because you know what? We talk about the church in the third person. I don't like when the church does that. I don't like when the church made that decision. I don't like the ministries that the church runs. Well, if you are the church, you're not just critiquing someone else, you're critiquing yourself as well because God has called us together to be something. Together. Well, if the church is something you go to, it's easy to walk away from the church but when you start to realise that the church is the people that God has called you to sit with in this place, we gather in this place so that he fuels us up to go and live the life that he's called us to live. There's a deep commitment that is born shoulder to shoulder knowing that God hasn't just called you to a place but to a people. And there's times and there's moments where it's appropriate to go and find a new group of people to connect yourself with. And that happens. There's reasons for that. But don't do it because you see the church as something over there and you as someone separate from it that just goes and engages. No, no, that's not the picture that, you, that Paul writes or that Jesus wants to give. The church, the gathering, the place where the presence of God exists is not within four walls. It's contained within the people who God's called together. Right now, if you think the church is a place where you go to get good sausages on a Sunday morning... I understand. <laughs> the presence of God is not found in a place, but in a people. You see, if the church is something you go to, it's easy to consume, to critique. It's easy to change and walk away from it. But if the church is something that you are, it builds a whole new level of commitment to those around you and it becomes a vehicle for the mission that God has made you a part of. The church wasn't God's design so we could all hang out on Sundays and be happy. The church was God's design so the ministry of Jesus and the message of the gospel could go to the far ends of the earth. 
That's what God's included you in. It's a privilege to be included in God's rescue mission and God's plan to see redemption come into the hearts and minds of people to all corners of the globe. Finally, the final movement is the movement from me to we or from you to us or from alone to together. That final verse again, verse 22, and in him and in Jesus, you two are being built together. You're being built what? Together to become a dwelling which God lives by his spirit. Something powerful about this word together. Elsewhere, Paul uses a different analogy. He's not talking about a temple, he's talking about a body. And he says you can't exist in, you know, one part of the body doesn't exist in its own right. You know, the ear can't say, I don't need anything else, I just exist in my own right. No, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy, like Paul just uses this Fred moment to go, no, if you're part of a body, every part of the body plays a different function, but it's in all the functions playing their part that the body becomes helpful. And Paul, in this analogy of the temple, says to him, yeah, actually, you are being built together. You are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There's something, you know, the, the Bible teaches that the God resides in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but there's something deep and powerful about who we are together, the way that God resides and is in the midst of the community of his people. This word together, let's not lose sight of it this morning. And I want to encourage some of us this morning because God has not encouraged you or invited you or created you to do life alone. You see, life alone is not a healthy place to be. You know, one of the greatest challenges for some of us is that when life gets tough, what do we do? We don't lean into people, we draw away from people. I know some of us that significantly wrestle with our own you know, emotional and, and sometimes our own mental health challenges. And, and the natural bent that our brain tells us is to withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. But guess what God has created? Community as a place of healing, as a place of wholeness. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. I can't take your burden and make it my own, but I can help the weight of it be a whole lot less. There's something about being together that is in God's picture for where His presence exists through the Holy Spirit. God never designed you to do life alone. You see, some of us have isolated ourselves in our mission. In other words, God's gifted us and He's called us to go reach a group of people or He's called us to a particular ministry, but because nobody else kind of has the same passion as us, we've isolated ourselves and we've started to become a lone ranger. No, no, the picture was never for you to do it alone, but to allow others in. So in the midst of community, what you do can be so much greater than what you'll ever achieve on your own. There's some great solo operators, but I tell you, the power exists when the body comes together. And I don't care how gifted you are or how talented you are or how experienced you are, you don't have it all. If you think you have it all, let's talk about it because probably there's a little bit of repentance for lack of self-awareness. You don't have it all. God hasn't gifted you with everything. He's gifted you with a part that when you choose to play your part in the midst of the body of other people playing their part, guess what? The picture that is grown, the, the ministry that occurs is so much richer than when you try and do it on your own. And some of us have isolated ourselves in our mission, but we're always gonna be more effective with the help, the support, and the balance of others. You know, some days I have people knocking down my door because if they had the chance to structure this church, everything would be about the youth ministry. And I celebrate that there's people here that are so passionate about youth ministry that that's how they feel. 
10 minutes later, someone might walk in going, we do not value worship enough in this church. We need to be singing at every life group, at every prayer meeting, at every business meeting, every time we have coffee in a coffee shop just to catch up on the week. Man, there should be a guitar coming out. We should be singing the praises. And I'm like, Jesus, I thank you that there are people in our church that are so passionate about worship. But when the people that God has gifted in worship come together with the people that God has gifted to speak life from the generations that are brought together with the people that are organised, that are brought together with the people that like have the gift of craftsmanship to build things and create things, together with the people that just are caring and can sit and listen for hours and take on the burdens of others. When the whole thing comes together, the picture is so much more beautiful than when it exists on its own. Don't isolate yourself in your mission. God has called us together to do something greater than ourselves. And secondly, some have isolated ourselves in our struggles. Oh, I feel really, this this is probably where I want to land today because I I really feel impressed this morning as I was praying with our team this morning. I said, you know, we always pray for anyone new. If you're new here today, we're so glad you're here. We pray for you every week. Pray that you would have a great experience of being with us today. Pray that you would feel welcome. Pray that all the things that we care about as a church would be your experience. But instead of just praying for that today, I really felt God prompting on my heart to pray for those that have sat here for 10 years, five years, 10 years, 20 years in churches and keep telling themselves that I don't want anyone else to see what's going on for me. I don't want, and no one else is going through what I'm going through. Everybody here has a story. Everybody here is carrying something. And the more we try and do it on our own and we isolate ourselves in our struggles, we don't allow the ministry that God intended through the community of His people to minister to us. It's Group Link Sunday today. And some of you in your spirit have been saying for five years, I don't, life group's too hard. What if people actually get to see me like I really am? guess what? It's probably time people got to see what's really going on for you so God can actually start to do something brand new in you. Some of you have been trying to work it out on your own for so long and it's not happening. You know what? Life groups, they're a risk. Because when you put yourself out there to people, that's a risk. And some of us have tried once and got burnt and we've never gone back. I want to give you encouragement. Try again. As I've said numerous times this year, if if you can't commit every week or every fortnight to a 7.30 on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night or whenever our life groups meet in the all different places and shapes, why don't you go find two or three others and say, can we just, can we get together once a month? Can we just have lunch once a month? Or can we have a coffee once a month? Or can we just meet in a park once a month? Not just to talk about the weather and, you know, the football, but could we just get together just so we could pray for one another, share what's going on in our lives and let God minister through the power of community. Some of you need to hear this this morning. God did not design you to do life alone. The healthy life is not the isolated life. The healthy life God designed for you is a life that's lived and experienced in community with others. Now Paul says this, God is bringing everyone together, building a, a brand new temple. Not a place you go to, but a place that together we are. God's presence is with us and in us and working through us. He's created this new temple so that wherever we go together, God is present and at work. But whenever we gather together, God through the gift of each other can bring a deep ministry into our hearts and our minds. There's good news through the ministry of Jesus. Those that are outside and now on the inside, those that were foreigners and now part of the family, 
those that were divided by hostility are now brought together in unity. Those that were pilgrims are now the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And those that have tried to live life solo are now invited into a brand new rich experience of being present with others in the people of God in community where often God does his best work. May you pray with me this morning. God, I don't want us to take too lightly the implication of this passage today. It's easy when we just become pilgrims that go and attend somewhere and then step out of that and just get back in the rhythm of our life. But you, know, you tell us that we are the place where now you've chosen to reside and presence yourself by your Holy Spirit, Jesus. And so here today, in the midst of us together, gathered in your name, you're present here with us. God, when we gather together in homes, you're present with us. When we walk into our workplaces or our sporting clubs, you are present with us. In every moment, Jesus, you are present with us. God, I especially want to pray for this morning for those of us that have isolated ourselves, maybe in our mission or, or maybe just in our struggle, God. But we, we've allowed the narrative to set in that, that we just need to deal with this on our own or no one else should know about this or no one else can help us. But God, I want to pray that you would speak into that lie and actually help us to see that often it's in the community around us that we find hope healing, that the weight of the burden we carried is lightened. God, we find the support to be the people that you've called us to be. Give courage to some people this morning, Jesus, to take that step this year into community, I pray. And God, may we as a church take seriously the call you have on us to be your presence everywhere we go. Pray these things in Jesus' name. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.